There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello listeners, hello video viewers, welcome to the podcast. This is the first of a three-part series in which I'm going to do murder mystery detective stories by Peter Carlson. There are going to be three episodes or three parts. The three titles are part one, The Unopened Safe, part two, The Wraith, which kind of means the ghost, and then part three is called The Missing Masaccio. There are audio and video versions of each one, and I hope you enjoy them. So without further ado, here is part one, the unopened safe. Enjoy. You've caught me in a sort of a, a tight spot here. I just pressed record on the video and the audio and then realised I hadn't poured my tea. And, you know, I have my priorities, you know. Got to make sure the tea is ready before I embark on another text adventure story in this episode. Anyway, hello. Hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. Everything all right? Let's just make sure the sound levels are good. Uh, yes. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Here is a new episode, and it's a story episode, a mystery episode, and a text adventure episode. I'm going to play a text adventure story game today. Uh, it's called Victorian Detective Interlude uh, by Peter Carlson. And it's available on textadventures.co.uk. I'll tell you the story as I play it, and I'll explain some bits of language here and there as we go. As you may have heard, if you are a long-term Lepster, I've played almost all of Peter Carlson's games on this podcast before, and they've all been popular and constructive uh, from a language learning point of view. I mean, who can forget about the burlap sack, for example, from Victorian Detective 2? So all the stories that I've done before, there's the zombie story, the summer camp story, and then the three Victorian detective stories, uh, one of which I did with Amber and Paul. So basically, the way it works with these games is this. You start the story and you play as the main character. You read the descriptions and you have to make choices which affect the direction of the story. You can click on certain words to get more information and to help you make your choices. And at the end, you get scores based on things like your deductive reasoning and your detective skills. And so you progress through the game, continuing the story, trying to solve the mystery, and then find the culprit. The culprit, that means the one who did the crime. So our character, the character that we inhabit, the, the, per, the sort of the main character in the story, um, is a bit like Sherlock Holmes, basically. And these stories take place around the same time as the Sherlock Holmes stories, uh, probably sort of turn of the century London, around 1900, that kind of period. So I haven't played this, this fourth Victorian detective story, but I've had a look 
and there are actually three mini stories collected together here. So let's see if I can do all three stories in this one episode, or maybe I'll just have to do a three-part series or something like that. So, as I said, I will explain some bits and pieces of language as we go, but mainly this is just about following the story and enjoying it. So I invite you to pay attention, uh, concentrate on the details, follow my decision-making process and keep up with the story and hopefully enjoy the experience. And keep your ears and eyes open for nice bits of vocabulary and even some grammar and pronunciation here and there. Uh, leave me your comments if you think I get something wrong or if I miss something. Also, uh, audio listeners, there is a video version of this uh, on YouTube with text on the screen that you'll be able to read along with me. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Um, right, so let's start. I'm going to click on that link there. Here we go. So here we are, Victorian Detective Interlude by P uh, Peter123. The interlude thing. An interlude is normally sort of like a little break, isn't it? Maybe you got, um, like, a in the olden days in the cinema, you'd go to the cinema, you'd watch the film, and sometimes there'd be a little break in the middle and there would be some music and it would say interlude on the screen and you can go and have a drink or go to the toilet or something. Um, so this is, a, this is, I guess, an interlude, which means it's sort of like something that occurs between two main stories. So maybe Peter is going to come up with Victorian Detective four like proper victorian detective four at some point and this is just like a little mini story uh, to take place between the you know the two main ones anyway so as it says here uh, you are a great detective living in victorian london your internal monologue will guide you by clicking on links in the body of text as you investigate three past cases your eidetic memory is represented by your ability to reread all the story you've, you've experienced. Eidetic memory is kind of like photographic memory. It's just where you remember everything. Your intensely fast analysing ability is represented by your unlimited time between choices. Your vast knowledge is represented by the internet, which means that we are actually allowed to Google some of the things that we discover. London needs you. Right, so let's get started. And here we go. Right, Victorian Detective Interlude, Lost Cases by Peter Carlson. Just a reminder, uh, our character, this amazing detective, um, he works with a partner, a police partner called Mardler. <clears throat> okay, and in the past I've tried to give Mardler sort of a Cockney accent. So Mardler's a bit of a Cockney, all right? Mardler speaks a bit like that, a bit of a Cockney. and um, But our character just speaks like me, okay? I'm, I need to get milk to put that milk in the tea. It won't work without milk. You can't have milk without tea. You can't have milk without tea. You can't have tea without milk is what I meant. Okay, as I just uh, apply a little dash of milk there to my tea. Okay, so that's going to accompany me along this, uh, along the way on this journey. So, here we go. London, 1862. Mardler glanced across the hall of the bustling police station. That wooden chair by the window was still unoccupied. The desk that had once been a second home to his partner. Mardler sighed. <sighs> for his companion hadn't been back to Scotland Yard for the past two months. 
It was understandable that the detective would want to take time off. He had lost a dear friend and suffered a terrible gunshot injury. But even so, Mardler thought he would have returned by now. Mardler was feeling... Mardler was feeling reminiscent as he pulled open a desk drawer and began rifling through old files. Previous cases that he and his companion had handled. Which case should be revisited? So we've got three cases that Mardler could open here to revisit. We've got the unopened safe, the wraith, and the missing Masaccio? Masaccio? How do I say that? Masaccio. Masach... What? Masaccio. 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 Okay. So the missing Masaccio, which looks like an artwork. Um, okay, let me go through some of that again. So Mardler glanced across the hall of the bustling police station. Bustling means just like full of movement, lots of people moving around, lots of people talking. He glanced, took a quick look across the hall of the bustling police station. The wooden chair by the window was still unoccupied. So his partner, that's us, that's the character that we normally play, um, is missing. He's not there. He hasn't come back to his desk in the police station in Scotland Yard. Okay, this was the desk that used to be second home to Mardler's partner. Mardler sighed because, so actually here in this sentence, we've got the word for, that's F-O-R, used twice. And I want you to note the, the different ways that this word for is used in this sentence. Okay, here we go. Mardler sighed for his companion hadn't been back to Scotland Yard for the past two months. So, um, for is normally a preposition, as you well know, and it's used to establish a time period for the past two months. For and then a period of time, right? Um, but at the beginning of the sentence, we've got Mardler sighed for his companion hadn't been back to Scotland Yard for the past two months. So this for here is actually a conjunction, and it's basically the same as because, which is quite interesting that we have... The word because, it could be replaced by three other words. It could be, well, there's others as well, but uh, the ones that you might not notice include for, like this, uh, Mardler's side, for his companion hadn't been back to Scotland Yard, meaning because. We also have as as well, that's A-S, Mardler's side, as his companion hadn't been back to Scotland Yard, so as means because. And also since can mean because as well. Mardler sighed since his companion hadn't been back to Scotland Yard for the past two months. So for, as and since all can mean because, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, it's slightly, um, using for like this to mean because is slightly literary in style, which is appropriate for this because it is a sort of a, a, de you know, a detective story. So um, it was understandable that the detective would want to take time off. He'd lost a dear friend and suffered a terrible gunshot injury. Now, I don't remember if this relates to De Victorian Detective 3, does it? I think it maybe it does. He lost his friend who he used to play chess with. Uh, Julian, right? He lost his friend Julian in the last story. And I think he got shot. I think the detective got shot as well at the end of the last story. I don't know. You can go back and check out Victorian Detective 3 if you like and, and find out. But even so, Mardler thought that he would have returned by now. 
Right, so Mardler's like going, where's where's the detective? What's going on? And Mardler was feeling reminiscent, meaning he was sort of remembering old things, right? Reminiscent, sort of like you're daydreaming and remembering old things, old moments. He was feeling reminiscent as he pulled open a desk drawer, and that word is pronounced draw, D-R-A-W-E-R, draw, pull open a desk drawer, and began rifling through old files. If you're rifling through, nice expression, it means you're quickly going through things in a box, especially files in a cabinet, (laughs) rifling through old files. You rifle through things. You can also rummage as well. Have you ever heard that word? Rummage. You can rummage through. R-U-M-M-A-G-E. Rummage through a bag. So like a, a woman, if she's looking for her keys, she might rummage through her handbag. Right. So we've got rifle rummage. And another one I can add is thumb. Thumb. Your thumb on your hand. Right. You've got your fingers and your thumb or th- thumbs if you've got two hands. Um Uh, And you can thumb through something, usually a book, you thumb through it, so or maybe a magazine. For example, if you're at the dentist's and you're waiting in the waiting room uh, and uh, you pick up a magazine, you start thumbing through it. You thumb through it. So anyway, in this case, Mardler begins rifling through old files, some previous cases. So the cases again, the unopened safe. So a safe is like a, you know, a box, a, a, a sturdy box where you can keep valuable things. Uh, the wraith. A wraith is basically a ghost. So that sounds good. I like the sound of that. And the missing Masaccio which is about a missing painting. Classic detective story stuff. I think we'll just go with the first one first, the unopened safe. Let's have a look at that. Right, so let's begin the story of the unopened safe. So you and Mardler, so here we are, we're back to being a detective again. Oh, I've got some music going on here. I've done a little edit there. You might have heard the music change. I had to reply to a text and drink tea. Um, Now, So we're back to being the detective again. And so let's continue the story. You and Mardler stand in the home of the late Edward Walsham. You crouch over the aristocrat's body, studying the wound while carefully stepping around the blood pooled on the carpet. Okay, so we're at the Walsham estate, uh, the home of the late Edward Walsham, who is dead. He's... Right, so you crouch over the aristocrat's body. He's an aristocrat, which means that he's sort of part of the... He's connected to the royal family, right? He's. You can imagine he's a bit like... Um, something like... Um, what's his name? The guy from Downton Abbey. Crawley? Is that his name? Lord Crawley? Um, anyway, it's kind of like that. An aristocrat. He's, he's studying the wound. So he's got a wound on his body while carefully stepping around the blood pooled on the carpet. Edward Walsham met his demise, meaning he died, in his private study. This is like a little room, a small room overlooking the vast Walsham estate. This is his land. Right. His desk cluttered with books, bottles, medicine and papers. Medicine. Don't normally say medicine. Medicine, I normally say. So his desk, cluttered with books, bottles, medicine and papers, is pressed against one wall, beneath a metal safe jutting out from the wall. 
Okay, so Walsham died in his study. Uh, the study is a window which overlooks his all his estate. His desk was pressed against a wall. On the desk were books, bottles, medicine and papers, all cluttered. If something is cluttered, it means it's messily arranged in a messy fashion. All right, so the desk is against the wall with all the stuff cluttered on it. And then there's a metal safe jutting out from the wall. So a safe, sometimes people put safes into the wall in a hole and they maybe put a picture over the top and then, you know, move the picture and open the safe. This safe is jutting out of the wall as if it's someone has tried to remove it and it's only got part of the way out. Okay. Some of these things um, here are clickable. So I could click some of these things in order to get further information, which I will do later. Okay, so that's the situation. It says you're joined by three residents. So people who live either in the house or on the estate. I heard the sound of shattering glass, then a scuffle. What what, uh, what accent shall I do? If it's like Downton Abbey, I suppose she should sound like Mrs Patmore or something, shouldn't he? I heard the sound of shattering glass and then a scuffle, says Carmela Bell, Walsham's maid. I knocked on the door but got no response and found it was locked. That's when I got help from... I don't know about this accent... It's very questionable. Is this Manchester or Lanc is this Lancashire or Yorkshire? I don't know. Anyway, so she, I heard this. I heard the sound of shattering glass, then a scuffle. Says Carmela Bell, Walsham's maid. I knocked on the door, but got no response. So she knocked on the door, but no one replied, and she found it was locked. That's when I got help from, and then the gardener cuts in, and obviously, if he's a gardener, he's going to sound like. He's from the southwest. I don't know why, but he is. All right, because he's he's a gardener. Gardener. <clears throat> That's when I came and helped break down the door. Interjects Roland Parlow, Walsham's gardener. So we've got the maid. We've got the gardener, and then Vella Walsham, the grieving widow, stands behind the estate help. Who would do such a thing? Uh, she moans as Parlo hands her a handkerchief to dry her eyes. So we've got uh, Carmela Bell, the maid. We've got Parlo, the gardener. And we've got Vella, who is the grieving widow. The widow, that means the, the, the wife of the, uh, the dead Edward Walsham, the late Edward Walsham. Um, she's his living wife. So she's, her, she's his widow. And grieving means she's, you know, in grief, she's mourning the death of her husband. Who would do such a thing, she says, standing behind the maid and the gardener. Um, a burglar after, uh, this is Mardler, right? A burglar after your husband's safe, I fear, says Mardler. He could have escaped via the ivy hanging below the window. Unfortunately, none of our officers have found him. He left no clues. Okay, maybe he escaped out the window, down the ivy. You take one more sweep of the room, examining the evidence. We have a look at the room. And it says, when you know who killed Edward Walsham, press continue. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> so I've got to work out who killed him just with the information on this page. Okay. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, let's have a look at the name Edward Walsham, see what we get. Edward Walsham. Edward Walsham was a wealthy London resident and the president of a powerful company specialising in printing presses. So he made printing presses, you know, the sorts of things they would have used to print newspapers and books. He was a wealthy business owner. Okay, right? Wealthy man. Um, you crouch over the aristocrat's body. Let's have a look at the body. Ooh. We see a picture of the body lying there with blood and a knife. Edward Walsham suffered one lethal slice to the neck at the jugular. So um, someone sliced his neck at the jugular vein, which is the blood vessel quite near the surface of the skin at the neck, which is fatal if it gets cut. The murder weapon, a long, elegant knife, lies on the bloodied carpet. A long, elegant knife is the, blood, is the uh, murder weapon. Okay. Uh, Walsham was bound at the wrists by coarse rope. So his wrists were attached together by rope, by a kind of coarse rope. That's a rough sort of rope. You examine the rope carefully and recognise it as a rope commonly used by sailors. So we might be looking for a sailor, someone who has spent time on ships sailing, because that's maybe how they got this rope. There are faint teeth marks in the rope. Hmm. So someone has bitten the rope as well because there are some faint, like very light teeth marks in the rope. Why would someone bite the rope? Maybe to tie? Maybe if someone has got like, I don't know, if only one arm, they would tie the rope with their teeth and the other arm. I don't know. Are there any one-armed characters in this, uh, in this story? Anyway, there we go. Let's go back to the, to the original page. Edward Walsham met his demise in his private study, a small room overlooking the vast Walsham estate. Let's have a look at the vast Walsham estate or the window. The window overlooking the garden is shattered, leaving only jagged edges of glass. There's not much glass on the floor. Okay, so the, the, the window, is this the window that the person was supposed to have escaped out of down the ivy? That's what Mardler thinks. But um, it's shattered. There are jagged edges of glass. So that would not be very easy to climb out of. You're going to cut yourself on that, aren't you? So that doesn't, that almost sort of doesn't look like uh, it's possible to, to do. And if there isn't much glass on the floor, maybe it was smashed from the inside. That way the glass would fall out, you see. So maybe this was smashed from the inside and maybe no one actually went out of that, that window. I don't know. Interesting, though. No. What do you think, listeners, viewers? 
Any ideas at this point? I think we've got three suspects. Uh, Vela, the, the wife, um, Paolo, the gardener, or Carmela, the maid. But why? I don't know. Um, so let's have a look. The, the, the metal safe jutting out from the wall. Let's have a look at that. There's a discarded landscape painting on the floor that once covered the dial combination safe. So the, the painting that was covering the safe is now on the floor. Now the safe is revealed and is covered in scratches, yet remains unopened. So someone has obviously been trying to get into the safe. There's scratches all over it, but it's still not open. Vela Walsham opens the safe for you, revealing a diamond necklace. She and Edward Walsham were the only ones that knew the combination. So clearly this thief was looking to uh, grab that diamond necklace. She and Ed were the, were the only people who knew the combination. Okay. It's a precious family heirloom, says Vela Walsham through tears. It belonged to Edward's grandmother. An heirloom is something that gets handed down from generation to generation in a family. For example, a, you know, an item of jewellery. It's, it's a precious family heirloom. I need to act. I need to get into the acting in this episode. It's a precious family heirloom. It belonged to Edward's grandmother. So, all right, so there's the diamond necklace. Still no, I'm still no closer to work working out who this is. Someone was trying to get at this diamond necklace. It's unlikely to be Vela, isn't it, to be honest, because, um, you know, it, she owns it anyway, so why would she kill him to get it when she could just get it herself? So, one of the other two? The gardener? Whether I don't know. Hmm. Sherlock Holmes, I am not so far in this story. So, let's have a look at the three residents. So, okay. I think this is where we're going to get some good information. Carmela Bell, Walsham's maid, a short woman with fading red hair and puffy cheeks. Yeah, it's Mrs. Patmore from, from um, Downton Abbey. She's well-kept, but has noticeably rough hands with faint fish hook scars. Oh, well, this is a dead giveaway. Faint fish hook scars. So a fish hook, that's the hook that you use when you go fishing. You hook a little worm or some bait on the end of the, the hook and then, you know, you cast it out into the water. So if she's been handling fish hooks, she might have some scars on her fingers where the hooks spiked her. Rough hands with fish hook scars. Well, we were looking for, for a sailor, right? Anyway, let's have a look at Roland Parlo, Walsham's gardener, a tall man with a dark beard and no hair on the top of his head. There are twigs and mud in his beard, as well as fine scratches on his hands. Twigs and mud in his beard and fine scratches on his hands. Okay, he's a gardener, but apparently he's been rolling around in the garden. So much so that he's got twigs and mud in his beard. He's just been rubbing his beard, rubbing his face in the earth like that. That's what gardeners do. They've really got to, they have to get to know the garden, they smell the earth in order to really, you know, be a good gardener. And then there's Vela Walsham, Walsham's widow, a tall woman with long black hair. Her eyes are red from a steady stream of tears and her body shakes <laughs> in small spasms of shock. <laughs> like that. She gazes out the window in confusion, her world crashing down around her. So she just gazes out the window. Uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> like that. 
Great acting in this episode, listeners. These were the only three people at the estate other than Edward Walsham when Walsham was found. Okay, so we've got our prime suspect, Mrs. Patmore, Carmela Bell. Maybe she was after the, the necklace. Um, the, the Carmela Bell said, oh yeah, I knocked on the door, but I got no response. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course you did. Yeah. And then I found it was locked. Oh yeah, sure. Of course you did, Mrs. Patmore. Let's have a look at what this locked door. The door was locked from the inside and couldn't be opened from outside without forcing it. This is not unusual for Edward Walsham, according to his widow. So apparently he would always lock himself in his room. So if it's Carmela Bell, how did she do it? Hmm. Is there any more information? No. I think I know who it was. I think it was Carmela Bell, but I don't know how she did it. Carmela Bell, continue. <clears throat> who killed Walsham? Right, let me just make sure I've spelled her name correctly. Um, Carmela Bell. There you go. I have to write it in. Enter. This is wrong. What did I miss? What on earth did I miss? I've got to continue and try. Uh, how do I continue and try again? Oh, damn. What on earth did I miss? The gardener with mud and sticks in his beard. Is he the one who jumped out of the window and landed face first in the earth? Is that what it was? Oh dear, I'm terrible at this. I'm so bad. I'm such a terrible detective. I need to go back to this. Listeners, viewers, what, have, what am I missing here? Um, I really have no idea who this could be. Maybe it's Maybe he killed himself. Why would he have done that? Why would he have killed himself? Why would the window be smashed? I've got no idea. Normally I can do this, right? Normally I get these things right, but I'm completely lost here. Ar uh, aristocrat, rich owner of printing presses. Uh, his body's on the floor. His, his jugular vein has been cut and his arms were bound together with rope. The sort of rope that you that sailors would use, which suggests that it's the one with the fishhook scars. Hmm? The vast estate, the window, not much glass on the floor, jagged edges of glass. Didn't someone have scratches? No, there's scratches on the on the safe. Oh God, this is not this is hardly compelling podcasting. Luke fails to solve a, mur uh, a murder mystery. Uh, you know what? I've got to carry. I've got to keep the. Uh, I've got to keep the story moving. I've got to keep the episode moving. I'm going to just say it's 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 uh, Parlo, but I'm going to be wrong again. Yeah, I knew. Let's see the answer then. Come on. Edward Walsham, how? That is deeply, deeply, um, deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> um, wait a minute. Okay. We know it's Edward Walsham because we just cheated, but I'm going to add that in. Right now, hopefully we'll get an explanation. Okay. Who killed Edward Walsham? Ex and you say, Edward Walsham did. And excuse me, says Mardler, please explain. Edward Walsham committed suicide, but tried to make his death appear as a murder. You say, 
you gesture to the safe. The safe is unopened. But surely a burglar would have tortured Walsham if he wanted information spilled. Mm-hmm. So the safe, but surely the, the the burglar would have, yeah, he would have got the information out of out of him, right? If he'd threatened him or tortured him. Hmm, okay, it's a good point. Observe the window. There's very little glass on the floor of the study, indicating it was broken from the inside. I did notice that, to be fair to me. Also, someone entering or exiting through the window would undoubtedly cut themselves on the glass, yet there's no blood. Yeah, I noticed that one too, but... Yeah, I guess that was the only way into the room if the door was locked. And he, I did notice he smashed it out from the... Yeah, okay, maybe I should have thought a bit more carefully about this. Uh, see the rope used to tie up Walsham. There are teeth marks where he bit down on it and pulled to tighten the bonds that he applied to himself. Of course, one-armed man. There's me looking for a one-armed man. Meanwhile, obviously, he did it himself, didn't he? Um, the wound is also self-inflicted. Notice that the murder weapon is far too elegant to be the weapon of a common burglar. Of course, an elegant knife is going to be owned by a rich aristocrat. But why, detective? cries Vella Walsham. You stride over to Edward Walsham's desk. This desk is littered with alcohol and pills. I can only assume your late husband was the victim of emotional and physical pain. He was surely going through a dark depression. I imagine he has some sort of life insurance policy, so his death will be of some monetary benefit to others, and it's nullified if he takes his own life. Or perhaps he wanted to spare his wife and friends any thoughts of anger and betrayal towards his soul. Vella Walsham flees the room, tears flowing freely from her eyes. Would a little grace kill you, says Mardler, as you gaze out of the broken window. Wait a minute. What what is going on? Is it just me, everybody, or are, are you confused by this too? Uh, okay, I understand that he he tied up, he tied himself up, he committed suicide, right? Um, but why? The desk is littered with alcohol and pills, so he was he was emotionally and physically distraught and probably going through a dark depression. I imagine he has some sort of life insurance. Uh, so his death will be of some monetary benefit to others, and it's nullified if he takes his own life. Ah, right. So he didn't want to just commit suicide, even though he was so depressed. But he wanted it to. He wanted to make it look like a murder, so that his family would be able to claim the life insurance. Of course. Um, Vella Walsham flees the room, tears flowing. Would a little grace kill you? Grace is like basically sort of. You know, like the way a doctor talks to a patient with a certain level of grace, um, a sort of tact, a uh, subtlety of uh, communication. Uh, but no, because we're this brilliant detective like Sherlock Holmes, we have no filter and we just deliver these inf this information like that. Case closed. So we solved it, right? We solved it. I didn't have any problem there uh, in in working that one out at all, did I? No. Of course not. Okay, so this is where we're going to end this one. That is the end of part one, the unopened safe, in which I basically failed to solve the mystery, but still it was a pretty good story. So that's the end of part one. I've decided to split this into three parts. So check out part two, which is called The Wraith, 
next. It should be available right now or very soon, so check it out. But that is it for part one. I will speak to you again in part two. So at this point, all I can say is goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.